Good evening, and welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Hopkins, and this is episode 208. It is the fourth message in our Advent series for this year, which happens to be 2023, where I sit right now. This is the day, as I record this, uh, of Christmas Eve. It is a Sunday. And my pastor today said, Happy Christmas Sunday. This is not Christmas Sunday. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent, but it is the closest to Christmas Day because Christmas is tomorrow. But it is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and this year, in 2023, interestingly enough, Christmas Sunday will fall uh, just barely in December. It will be December 31st, uh, and that will be the first Sunday of the Christmas season, which begins tomorrow on December 25th. Um, A lot of times we confuse the retail season with the Christmas season. And what we've had in the retail season since they put the Christmas decorations out in late September is a combination of Halloween and Thanksgiving and the fall festivals and Oktoberfest and whatever else happens in this time that the retail world calls Christmas, the Christmas season. What's interesting is that tomorrow morning, lots of people get up and open their gifts and have their official Christmas day, which is Christmas day, and then start putting away their Christmas decorations and Christmas has just begun. Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas are December 25th through January the 5th, and then the Orthodox Christmas day is the 5th or the 6th, depending on which Orthodox tradition you adhere to, but most of them are January the 6th, is the official Christmas Day, the end of the Christmas season. And by that time, 90% of our culture has put away its Christmas decorations and, and gotten on with a new year. But we failed to actually celebrate the season for which Jesus is the reason. And when you put away your Jesus is the reason for the season plaque on the 26th of December, you're 11 days early. Um, it, it always has made me laugh how poorly we understand the seasons of our own church calendar and, and the days of our own church calendar. So today on the 24th of December, which happens to be a Sunday, we're celebrating the fourth Sunday in the season of Advent. And so I bring you this fourth message, again around the themes of first prophecy, and then angels, and then shepherds, and today, the Christ child, from the perspective of Mary. I wish you a M-A-R-Y, a Merry Christmas. I want you to share with me in this season the perspective of the mother of Jesus on this incredible adventure of Advent, of the coming of something new, someone new, the Word becoming flesh and dwelling with us. So just turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And on this Christmas Eve, let's consider the old story in the familiar words. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to just start in verse 1. 
And it came to pass that in that day, a decree came out from Caesar Augustus that the entire Roman world should be taxed. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the town of Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register for the census with Mary, to whom he was engaged to be married and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and wrapped him in strips of cloth and lied him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There were in the same country shepherds living out on the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. For today, in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby that was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child, and all who heard it found it incredible. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God to their fields, for all the things they had heard and seen were just as they had been told. It's a story that we act out every year all across our land in in every children's program in almost every church in the country kids still dress up in in pillowcases on their heads and, and they carry funny looking staffs staves and and they dress in their bathrobes and somebody takes a baby doll or in really really cool churches they use someone's real newborn baby and and there's a Mary and a Joseph, and there are probably wise men who aren't really part of the story yet, and they belong in the season of Epiphany in a couple of weeks, but still, they end up in everybody's Christmas program. And you might have fake animals. Some churches have real animals. I was once in a church that that had real animals. They had a, a, a sheep, a goat, um, a, a little donkey, one of those little miniature donkeys, and a pig, <laughs> a real pig, in their nativity scene, in their church. Um, the pig was noisy and kept grunting and <laughs> making noise during the kids' Christmas program, and the adults could barely contain their laughter. 
And the wise men's shoulders kept shaking in laughter as they were trying to stifle laughter at the noise the pig was making. And one of the goats bleated in the middle of the program. It was it was quite a free-for-all, and it, it, it reminded me why in the churches I pastored, we never tried to use live animals in our nativity scene. Um, I did once pastor a church that did a drive-through live nativity, and we had live animals there in the drive-through that people could see from their cars. Um, one year, one of the steers that we were using for the cattle are lowing, uh, the steer got spooked by some noise that a motorcycle made and and tore its its tether loose from the post that it was tied to and took off running across the field by the church and we had to run him down and retrieve him and it was a little more exciting than we wanted our living nativity to be but it was probably more realistic and that's that's my trouble I think with with all the nativity scenes I've ever seen. The, those with plastic figures and those with, with porcelain figures and those with real people and live animals. Even, even those don't smell quite right. <laughs> they don't, they're not earthy enough. I grew up on a farm. I understand that where you bed down cattle or sheep or pigs, uh, it's earthy, <laughs> it's real. It's stinky. And, and I don't see any of that in our nativity scenes. Everyone's clothes are perfectly clean. Everyone's clothes are perfectly nice. The baby's wrapped in a really nice baby blanket. The, the Christmas program I, I last saw that had a living child, the child was wrapped in a very nice fleece, blue and white blanket because it was a boy. It wasn't that way. Mary and Joseph are ordered out of their hometown for whatever reason to Bethlehem, the home of of Joseph's family, who won't let them stay in their homes. The first chapter of the Gospel of John says, He came to his own, but his own would not have him. Yet to those who would have him, he gave the right to become the children of God. He came to his own, but his own would not have him, not his relatives, not his children, Israel. They wouldn't have him. Mary and Joseph have to bear that shame that they don't deserve. They have willingly accepted the role the angel called them to. She to be the mother of the Son of God. He to not put her away, but to but to hang on to her and to be her husband and to be the father who raises the Son of God. And for and for answering God's call, for signing up to do exactly what God asked them to do. They bear constant shame and ugliness from their own families, from their own people, from their own world, from people who claim to know and belong to God. I, I wouldn't have written it that way. 
I mean, for crying out loud, this is the story of Jesus, the Son of God. It ought to be cleaner and neater than that, shouldn't it? But you see, if it was some little boy, some little girl, years down the line, when someone said, you can come to Jesus for salvation, could have looked at his ultra-clean life and his ultra-nice clothes and said, he wouldn't understand me. But there's not a child who's ever lived on this earth that has to be intimidated by Christ, who was wrapped in the strips of a torn-up garment because that's all they had, laid in a sheep feed barn in the feeding manger in a in a cold dark place with no one who would take him in with no fanfare with no announcement slipped into the world like a time bomb against sin all of the redemptive power and the majesty and the grace and the sin-killing strength of God wrapped up in a little baby hidden inside an infant child born by parents who would for their entire lives know that people whispered behind their backs. <laughs> Get those crazy people. There's that crazy Mary and Joseph. They say that kid is the son of God. They just didn't get their timing right, and they're blaming God for it. The story didn't have any more credibility then than it would have now. I have daughters. If one of them came to me and said, well, Dad, I'm, I'm pregnant, my first question would be, who's the father? And if their answer was, well, Dad, I know you're going to have some trouble with this, but uh, God is the father. I don't have that much faith. I wouldn't buy that story, would you? No one in this world would buy that story. No wonder they weren't allowed to stay in the homes of Joseph's relatives who had to live in Bethlehem. It was his hometown. No wonder their families outcast them. It's an incredible, unbelievable story. And they endured that for their entire lives. Worse than that, Jesus, for his entire life, endures the whisper campaign behind his back. You know how I know that? I know that because in the Bible, in the Gospels, in the Gospel of John, the Pharisees say, Oh, Jesus, tell us, who is your father? When he says, you do the will of your father, the devil, and I only do the will of my father, they spin around on him and they say, Oh, tell us, who, who is your father? And he says, you wouldn't know my father because you don't know me. They're trying to use his birth against him 30 years later. That means it's been a question. It's been a well-known question his entire life. He wrote the story that way himself. He chose that. So that for all of time, no child, no young person, no adult who 
who didn't know who their parents were or about whose parentage there was any question would ever have to be intimidated to come to a Savior whose parentage was too perfect, who'd never had to endure those questions. I'm 62 years old. I I don't know who my father was. I know that my birth mother abandoned me at the hospital the day I was born, had already signed paperwork to declare me illegitimate and to surrender me for adoption. And thank God the Hopkins were there to adopt me and take me home from the hospital just as though I were born to them. I understand what it is to wonder where I came from. Jesus came in the form and in the way that he did so that a kid like me would never have to be intimidated or worried that Jesus wouldn't accept them. Born to the poorest of people in the dirtiest and stinkiest of places. Can you imagine? I have four children. I mean, I, I remember how picky I was about how clean the hospital was, how clean the room was, where the nurses took him or her. My first daughter, I, I followed that nurse everywhere she went so she didn't swap my kid out for somebody else's kid. Now, if you see her, you'll have no doubt that she's our kid. But, but I worried. How do you think Mary and Joseph worried about the, the filthy place they had to have their child? I mean, the, the process of birth and delivery is, is, not, a, an, is not a modest gracious experience it's it's violent it's it's scary it's life it's life threatening and typically has to be done from a squatting or a lying down position and mary has to find a place in a stall in a in a barn not a not a clean dairy barn an old sheep pen Joseph has to sweep the sheep dip out of the way so that there's some place, some clean place that she can lie down, relatively clean, so that she's at least not lying in poop in order to give birth to the Savior of the world. I can't imagine how humbling, how scary that whole experience must have been for them. And for a mother giving birth to her first child, literally almost outdoors, and not in a clean place outdoors, but in a barn, in a, in a sheep pen. But that's what God chose. Of all the places he could have picked, the Christ child, the Messiah, could have been born in the royal residence in Rome, could have been born in the palace in Egypt, could have been born in the palace in Babylon, could have been born anywhere in the world, and he chose a sheep barn. He chose that on purpose 
so that he could be Emmanuel, God, with us, in us, in our midst, in our filth, in our grime, in our dirt, in our stench. He could be the God who had had the experiences to understand the least of us, the worst of us, the dirtiest, the stinkiest, the drunkest, the most addicted. He's been where the least of us have been. And he doesn't judge us based on where we came from or where we were born or who our parents were or whether we even know who our parents were. He judges us on whether or not we accept him because he came to his own, but his own wouldn't have him. He doesn't, he doesn't cast us out. He doesn't push us away. Mary looked at that whole thing. The journey from, from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. The being rejected from family's homes and not having a place to stay to having to take shelter in a sheep pen. Maybe, scholars say, just a hollowed out place in a rock. To, to birthing a baby in the midst of the poopiest place in the world. Getting the delivery done and surviving that process with no medical staff, no doctor, no midwife, nobody to help but Joseph, the poor guy. A 15, 16-year-old boy. A 14, 15-year-old girl. And all they have is each other. And having survived that process and their their child alive and wrapped up in whatever garment they could tear up to make a baby blanket with. Now these crazy shepherds come out of the darkness and want to see him and affirm to them in this moment of fear and terror and doubt and survival affirm to them the angels told us the angels told us that you have the son of God there could we see him it's just like God he picks the hardest things he takes Mary and Joseph into the hardest things with him he picks the worst place and takes them with him there and when they've survived all of that sends them these shepherds who affirm the angels told us you have the son of God there that this baby that you have is the Messiah and Mary now you understand and Mary treasured all these things in her heart and pondered them pondered them what in the world does it mean every year on Christmas Eve I take this time tonight I'm sharing it with you and I, I look at the lights I look at the tree I sit here in the dark alone in the middle of my home my family close by 
but I off by myself, pondering in a world torn apart by war, threatened by terrorism, overrun with, with illegal invaders in my country, run by corrupt politicians of any party, in a world of absolute turmoil and filth. What does it mean this year? The tree, the lights, the music, my favorite songs. What, what do they mean? And every year, they once again mean that God is at work. That somewhere in this world, as it was on that night, that in, in the most remote, unassuming, unbelievable place, the Son of God came into this world. Tonight, in places like that all over this world, He is known in the hearts of people. He's at work in the lives of people. I look back across the last year, and, and one of my colleagues, a good friend, has been literally saved from cancer. God is at work. One of my friends in my Sunday school class lost his wife this last year. And yesterday I went to dinner and he and his, his lady friend are sitting at the booth next to us. In eight or nine months, God is beginning to restore him. In his old age, having lived faithfully with one wife for his entire lifetime, and having seen that covenant through till death do us part, having grieved the loss of his lifetime partner, God is is giving him a chance at love again with a lady who lost her spouse, honored a covenant, and now they've found each other. And, and the joy on their faces is such a blessing. God is at work, not just tonight at, on Christmas Eve, but he has been all year. And tonight I just look back and I see it and I remember it and I, I'm so grateful for it. All of this mess, all of this turmoil, all of this chaos, all of this filth around us is of this world. And God still comes into this world. But now he doesn't have to sneak in he just comes to all who would receive him. To all who would receive him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one-of-a-kind son that anyone who believed in him would not perish but would have eternal life. He comes to anyone who would have him and gives them the right to be called the children of God. 
and he works and he touches and he loves and he heals and he guides and directs his children. He has this year and he will in the next. Tomorrow, we celebrate his birth. We celebrate that the Savior, the Word of God, became flesh and pitched his tent among ours. He's still real. He's still here. He's still at work. He still loves you. He still calls you to come to the side of a sheep manger and touch the face of God.